Hello everyone, you're listening to the Writing Wall Podcast, and yes, it's Wednesday, it's Writerly Wednesday, and we're doing our Writing Corner special right here just for you. Full-length podcasts and episodes air every second and fourth Saturday of the month at 6 p.m. here on Anchor, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, and more. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, please follow me on Twitter and Instagram using the Twitter handle at the Writing Wall and on Instagram at WritingsOnTheWall85. What are you up to on a Thursday night? If you've ever wondered what it's like to have some one-on-one time with a well-known author, ask questions about the craft or the business of writing, the second Thursday of every month, join me and Allegheny Writers for Hooked on Books. Author Charlie Lovett will be joining us in February 2021 right here on the Writing Wall blog and podcast. And then you can even have the opportunity to meet him on Hooked on Books to ask questions on Thursday, February the 11th. Keep an eye on the Allegheny Writers Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for time and details. Visit the Allegheny Writers website, www.alleghenywriters.com to learn more about how you can become a member and take advantage of these awesome member benefits. Because everyone has a story, come by and hear these wonderful authors share theirs with you. After all, we promise to have you hooked on books. Welcome to our first Writing Corner Wednesday of 2021. I'm your host, Stacey Hawks, and you're listening to the Writing Wall Podcast. Our guest this evening taking over the Writing Corner is Suki McMinn, a.k.a. Susan McNabb. Susan is a North Carolina writer who writes contemporary and paranormal fiction, romance, and mystery. Listeners are also going to get to hear more about her book that was recently released on the 26th of this month, titled The Opposite of Famous. Hi, Susan, and thank you so much for being part of our Writing Corner Wednesday. You're welcome. Susan, please share with listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a North Carolina girl, just like you, and I grew up in Asheville in the mountains of North Carolina, beautiful place, obviously, and I went to the University of Tennessee, and then I I started modeling in Charlotte after about a year after graduation, and then after that, a couple years later, I moved to Los Angeles to become a model, and I became a commercial actress, and I had a thousand other jobs, and (laughs) I became L. Vira's assistant for years. I was her road manager. I had all these like crazy different professions, but 99% of the time I was working in front of the camera and I lived there for 27 years and did that. And so I had this sort of crazy life. Then we moved to North Carolina, back to North Carolina to a little town called Tryon, which is in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, just south of Asheville. And I fell in love with it. And that's where I became a writer. I just landed there and said, okay, obviously I'm not going to be a model and an actor in Tryon. So I think I'll be a writer. And I got a newspaper column and I wrote for some magazines and I, that's where I published my first book and really just embraced the whole writing thing and the community there as well. I just loved it. And then about four years later, my husband got a job that took us to Phoenix, but we kept our try on house and we go there every summer 
And our plan is to retire there because really that's where my heart is. I love it there. And I, not that I don't like Phoenix, it's a lovely place, but uh, I just really feel like that's my home. And so that's where I am now. Now I'm a writer in Phoenix. I write fiction and nonfiction and that's what I do now. What made you want to get into acting or what inspired you to get into the modeling and acting worlds? I just was kind of at a crossroads of my life. After my graduation at UT, I have an English lit degree and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I got a job in retail management at a department store in Knoxville, but I didn't like it. I I was there for a year and my mother said, just quit your job and come home and we'll figure it out. So thank goodness for mothers. Moved to Charlotte, which is where she had just moved. And uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And somebody said, well, why don't you get a job at the Mart because you were in fashion? And I'm like, okay, I've never been in a Mart, but whatever. And I'll I'll just wing this. And I got a job in a showroom at the Mart and met other people. And one woman said, oh, you should be a model. And she sent me to her hairdresser. And he said, here's the number for a photographer. And then the photographer said, here's the number for an agent. And before I knew it, I had an agent and started working as a model. So it wasn't like I was like trying to be a model. I just didn't really know what I wanted to do. And that's where things just started happening for me. And I lived there for two years and modeled. I also got an agent in Atlanta. I just loved it. I thought, boy, let's just do this for a while. And then I decided, why don't I go somewhere even bigger? And <laughs> like, I know what I'm doing at, you know, I was like 23 years old and I drove out to California like a crazy person, you know, with a thousand dollars in the bank. And <laughs> I had my car and my clothes and I thought, yeah, this, this will be fine. Thank goodness. It did work out fine. I got out there. I got an agent. I started working. I met all kinds of people and just had this interesting, unexpected life and a really long career. It's unusual to work that long in front of the camera. And I couldn't figure out what else to do. And I had a thousand other jobs. I had plenty of other paths I could have taken. You know, I worked as an agent. I worked as a makeup artist. I worked as an assistant director. I, you know, did all kinds of things. And as a casting assistant, I taught acting for seven years. I worked for Cassandra Elvira, Mistress of the Dark for 17 years. So I had all these other side gigs going all the time, but I really just loved being in front of the camera. I wanted to be a model and then later became really more of a commercial actress for for a long, long time. What is one of the roles that you enjoyed playing the most? Wow, that's that's a hard question because I did so many different kinds of things. I loved Runway. That was one of my favorite jobs. It's not really a role, but <laughs> but it was one of my favorite ways to um, to work doing fashion shows. It was just really fun. But I guess far as roles go, my music videos, I think would be probably my favorites. I did a lot of videos in the 80s. You know, they were very big in that era when MTV and VH1 were really popular and they were really fun to do. They didn't pay very well. A lot of times the lower paying jobs were the best, <laughs> even though you, did, you weren't going to get rich, but boy, you sure had fun. So I got to meet all these, you know, musicians and, you know, dance in tight dresses and <laughs> it was fun. It was really fun. I know some listeners are curious. Can you tell us a little bit about any of the videos that you were in. I know one of them was in the late 80s with Billy Joel. Yes, it was for the video, uh, We Didn't Start the Fire, which was a huge hit at the time. You know, I went on an audition and I booked the job and they had a handful of gorgeous women like all music videos did. Oh, Marley Matlin was in that one. Hello. She had just won a, an Oscar. And here she is. Talk about how much fun music videos, even Oscar winning actresses would do them for like no money because it was just cool. And it was Billy Joel, you know. So yeah, I got to meet her and all these other gorgeous women. And, and I, there were probably some men in it too, but who knows? Everybody just looks at the women. But I have an interview actually out for that video with a guy named Mark Tyler Nobleman, who is this young guy. He calls himself a pop culture archaeologist. And he goes through these old music videos of the 80s with these gorgeous women and 
finds them and interviews them and then he posts them on his blog and so I did one for for that video and I got to hear where all the other women were now and it was it was really fun. So your new book, the latest book, The Opposite of Famous, basically has some short essays in it about your time as a model and in front of the camera. Can listeners and readers expect similar stories to that one of the Billy Joel video? Yes, that is exactly what readers can expect. It's a memoir and every chapter is like a personal essay about a different part of my life. You know, there's one about print work and there's one about music videos and there's one about runway and there's one about doing extra work in horrible films. <laughs> There's some about my personal life and I dated Jerry Seinfeld for eight years and so he's in the book a little bit and there's several uh, chapters about working for Elvira. So yeah, it's just sort of a behind the scenes. It's funny. There are funny stories about my life in Los Angeles. How many books would you say you've published to date? I have five books that I have published as Suki McMahon. I write fiction with a pen name as Suki McMahon, and I have three books that I published as Susan McNabb. Although the other two books aren't really, they're not the same as my memoir. They're just collections of my newspaper columns that I wrote in North Carolina. But yeah, as a fiction writer, I have five books on Amazon. How did you go about selecting your pen name? Um, well, I started out as a fan fiction writer, and I don't know, are you familiar with fan fiction? Yes, I'm familiar with fan fiction. Okay, good. I didn't know what it was when I discovered it. I was like, wow, this is this is pretty cool. And I started, I just had started writing and wasn't feeling brave enough to really share my writing with anybody else. But I found fanfiction.net. You can be completely anonymous and share your work with people without them knowing who you are. So you won't really embarrass yourself too badly if it's bad. And I um, created the name Suki59 was my name on fan fiction. I named myself after my dog, Suki, who was named after my favorite little Japanese doll when I was a child. And then when I started writing original fiction and decided to get my first book published, I knew that my readers would be the same people that read my work on fanfiction.net. And so I thought, well, I'll keep the name Suki because they know me as Suki. And then I used my husband's last name, which is McMinn, instead of my last name, which is McNabb. You can see why I didn't hyphenate. <laughs> They're very similar. So so yeah, when I'm, I just made this rule, when I write fiction, I'm Suki McMinn. And when I don't, I'm Susan McNabb. So out of all the genres, what is your favorite genre as a writer to write? Oh, wow. That is a tough question because I, you know, I'm a new writer. I didn't start writing until I was 49, I mean, which was in 2009. So not really that long ago. And I just, you know, it was like opening the floodgates. I had so many stories in me to tell that I didn't even know were in there. I really experimented with pretty much every kind of writing you can imagine. I wrote short stories and novels. I wrote comedy. I wrote poetry. I wrote newspaper columns. I, I did so many different kinds of writing. I loved all of it. Well, poetry. Okay. I'm not a poet, but everything else I loved. And so I don't know that I have a favorite, except I do know that I like to have a romantic story in pretty much everything I write. So even my nonfiction is often, there's often a romance in there because that's sort of what makes the world go around <laughs> for everybody. So I guess romance maybe would be my favorite, but boy, if I had to really pin it down to a genre, I don't know that I could. What about authors? Who would you say is your favorite author to read? Oh boy, another tough question. Again, so many really wonderful options. Well, as, as a North Carolina writer, I have to say Charles Frazier is pretty much 
I don't. I can't even think of a word to describe how wonderful he is. Cold Mountain is one of my favorite books of all time. Oh, it's just wonderful. I guess Jane Austen. She's the one writer that I've read everything she wrote multiple times. I never get tired of her. Just find her to be brilliant. You know, she's able to tell a story where really not very much is happening. There's no bombs going off, and not a lot of people are dying. Or you know, it's it's just like a lot of small talk in the parlor, and you know, it's just really really small plot. And yet they're fascinating and compelling, and you just can't put it down. You can't wait to hear what Mr. Darcy is going to say next. You know, so that's right. That's right. It's a really small world, but uh, but yeah, she's just she's wonderful. I love her work. It's a lot like a small town setting, and that's how she's set up her books, or at least that's my take on it. Because everybody knows everybody, and everybody kind of comes together at the same time. And we have these great stories in small towns, too, about our neighbors, our friends, our family members that we share with one another. So it's very much like a small town setting, but it's in a book format. Yes, that's right. That's right. It's a really small world. But uh, but yeah, she's just she's wonderful. I love her work. So you've lived in California and in North Carolina and most recently in Arizona. What's your favorite state by far to be in and to live in? And it's okay if you shamelessly self-promo North Carolina. (laughs) Well, you know I'm going to say that, right? (laughs) Of course it's North Carolina. I wasn't born there. I was actually born in Chattanooga, but I moved to Asheville when I was four. So I consider it my hometown. I love California. Do not get me wrong. And I have nothing against Arizona. It's a lovely place. But I really didn't realize how much I loved North Carolina until I moved back there when I was 51 years old. There's a line in my book. I said, sometimes a girl needs a few decades in a tornado for her to really appreciate Oz when she lands in it. And that's kind of how I felt when I left California. I thought, well, how will I ever be happy anywhere else? I, all my friends are here. My life is here. My work is here. And then I got to try on and I'm like, who knew <laughs> that I would fall so deeply in love with another little place? I mean, not even a, another little place, a tiny place. It's got 1,700 people. It's such a small town and couldn't be more different from Los Angeles. But it was just so darling and friendly and was just such a wonderful place to be and I still obviously am in love with it so yeah I like North Carolina. (laughs) In your writer of the week bio you said that you come back to North Carolina visiting Tryon during the summers and that you're also a founding member of Tryon Writers. We have Allegheny Writers here. What can you tell us about the Tryon Writers and their group and what they've been up to lately? I'm still an admin on the Tryon Writers Facebook page and I was one of the founding members as you said. There are a lot of writers in North Carolina. You know it's the writing estate as they say and Tryon in particular they have a huge artistic community in general. A lot of painters, a lot of sculptors, a lot of writers and they're really supportive of all the arts there so a lot of writers sort of flock there. I was in a critique group called Tryon Writers and two of my writer friends came to me and said we're thinking about organizing a bigger group. Can we talk to your critique group about it? And so we had, I was going to say a meeting but it was a party we all talked about, we'll just give our name up. We'll, instead of being the critique group, Try and Writers will be the bigger Try and Writers group. I wrote a column and invited writers from all parts of the community as well as, you know, nearby towns and anybody, you don't have to be in Tryon to be a Try and Writer. And we had a lot of people came on board and wanted to be a member. So we started sort of organizing things like we would have workshops and we would have readings. And whenever there was an arts festival, we'd have Try and Writers, you know, read from their work. And some were poets, some were novelists, all different kinds of writers. We had a monthly open mic where people could read their work and just became really more active. You know, we had a poetry festival. We were on fire. We had all kinds of things going on there. And then I moved away. When I'm there in the summer, I usually am involved in organizing, 
you know, it's like readings and the local library there has all kinds of programs that we take part in. But yeah, I'm really mostly just on their Facebook page at this point as an admin, but I can't wait to get back and when we retire and get back to work on Trying Writers. I love it. Have you published traditionally before or have you ever considered publishing traditionally? My first book was traditionally published. It's a vampire romance novel called Drop Dead Gorgeous about a a model in Los Angeles who is a vampire. And (laughs) I wrote it when I was working on my fan fiction. I knew, like I said, that my my readers would be the ones that they love vampire stuff. And so I knew that they would like the book. That's when I became Suki McMahon because I thought, you know, I want my readers to know it's it's me. And I found a publisher. It was an e-publisher online. They were new, but they wanted the book. And I was very excited, of course, uh, like all new authors would be. You know, got the cover art and they edited the manuscript and we had our big book launch. And then a week later, they went out of business. They closed their doors. My book was a week old. And I had already sent in my press release for the launch party. I had planned the party at a gallery, an art gallery there. And I had even ordered the sheet cake with the book cover on the cake. And I'm like, oh my gosh, now what am I going to do? I'm having a big launch party and I don't have a book. So they were very nice about it. They said, you know, we we're so sorry this happened. We're sending you the book cover art and the manuscript that's been edited and you can just self-publish it. I'm like, great. But of course, I knew nothing about self-publishing. It's like a how do I do that? So I, you know, sat down and started Googling and I had, I think, six days, you know, before my party to come up with a new book on Amazon. And I did it. I was able to do it. Thank goodness. Amazon has really sort of idiot proof the whole process. And anytime you get stuck, you just Google the problem. I mean, there's all these little YouTube videos for you to fix it. So I got the book up and I was so impressed with myself because I'm really not very tech savvy, but I was able to do it. And then I thought, you know, I could do this again. That's one of the great things about being an author now is you don't have to wait for the phone to ring. Not that anybody calls anybody anymore anyway, but you don't have to wait for somebody else to make the decision. For you to be published, you can publish yourself. So yeah, I've since then I've self-published several different things and I still, I have an agent and I still submit things to be traditionally published. So I'm not close to the idea I would be excited to be able to publish something traditionally as well, but I'm not confined to it. I have other options. And that's actually what happened with The Opposite of Famous is my agent had it and she was shopping it and then COVID happened. Everything sort of came to a screeching halt and she and I made the decision for me to pull it and self-publish it because I didn't want to wait. So I'm going to give her my next novel and she'll flu shop that. Maybe I'll get a publisher. If I don't, I'll publish it myself. So there you go. What is the one piece of advice you would like to share with writers who are thinking about publishing their work this year? If they're thinking about self-publishing, my advice would be to get involved in writers groups. There are a lot of them on Facebook. They're easy to find on Facebook. They're also great in-person groups, but of course now nobody's meeting because of COVID. When the world gets back to normal, you can find writers groups. I'm in one here in Phoenix, and of course we have Tryon Writers and Tryon, but there are a lot of great Facebook pages that are groups, that are author groups and reader groups and are really fun anyway, just to get involved with. They're also very supportive of each other. You know, it's, it's a lonely thing to do, to be a writer you are pretty much your only employee <laughs> and you're often alone and having to make these big decisions about do I want to run Amazon ads I don't know don't I don't know anything about that you know what do I do and should I do it or you can ask these questions in these groups and people will come on and help you and they're happy to help you because they're ahead of you usually and they can look back where you are now and, and give you advice that they wish they had maybe when they were coming up but so yeah I'd say get involved with writers groups and ask for help and they will help you Susan thank you 
so much for answering all of our questions here at the Writing Wall podcast. We are now going to turn it over to Susan. She's going to read an exclusive excerpt right here on Writing Corner Wednesday from her book, The Opposite of Famous. Here's a chapter about the music videos. All my chapters are a great work of literature and ruin the title. (laughs) And then I post a quote from that book and then a quote from myself. I go into the chapter. So this one is called For Whom the Music Video Tolls. The quote from Ernest Hemingway from For Whom the Bell Tolls in 1940 is, you've a nice figure, but the face isn't much. (laughs) I probably heard that a lot when I was auditioning, but anyway. And then my quote is, can you see my panty lines? That's to a wardrobe stylist in 1988. So here we go. I don't know how big a deal music videos are now because I'm old and hopelessly out of the loop, but when I was a young model in the 80s, they were a huge deal. Every popular song had one and they played 24 hours a day on MTV and VH1. As soon as a new song was released, we'd start to watch for its video. We'd leave the TV on all day like a radio. MTV had all the harder rock songs and VH1 had softer rock, pop, and country music. It was our time suck before the internet. One of my earliest LA jobs was on a music video. I hadn't been in town long when I met a cute young music studio manager who told me about a Saturday morning cartoon called Kid Video. The music for the show was produced in his studio and he put me in touch with the production company who shot the videos. The song was a little TLC and I was booked as a new wave nurse. We shot for a couple of days in a hospital and when it aired on a Saturday morning at the end of the cartoon, I thought it was pretty cool. I was impressed with how nice the director was. He and his wife had moved to LA from South Carolina and when I told him I had just arrived from North Carolina, he gave me his number and insisted I call them if I needed anything. He became one of my first freelance clients in LA since I had booked the job through a friend and not my agency, and he used me for several more videos over the years, including one of my favorites for Steve Warner's mega hit, The Weeknd. Oh, and the cute young music studio manager who set me up for the job was later passed around among my friends and me like a Ken doll until he married one of us. That was kind of his lucky day too, I guess. You can see it's very light and silly and funny, but it gives you a behind the scenes look at the business. And I go from the 80s up until when I left which was a lot longer after that because <laughs> I was there for a long time. For 27 years, I was there working in the business. Well, The Opposite of Famous is certainly in my cart on Amazon right now. So I'm really looking forward to reading this memoir and reading more about your experiences as a model, an actress, and of course, a writer. Oh, thank you. You're the one. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> thank you. I, I hope you enjoy it. If you haven't already, drop by the Writing Wall blog and podcast page to read Susan's article and grab all her links there or visit her on her website, www.susanmcnab.com. Follow her on Instagram at Susan McNabb, Twitter at the same handle, and Facebook too. And be sure to hop over to Amazon to check out The Opposite of Famous. Tune in to the podcast on Saturday, February the 13th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we welcome author of Chasing Cosby, Nikki Wisensee Egan. Because everyone has a story, we want to hear yours. What is your story? And that's it for me this Writing Corner Wednesday. Thank you guys so much for being here. And thank you to our Writing Corner Wednesday authors, poets, storytellers, and authors for being here. Be sure to check back in with us every second and fourth Saturday of the month for full episodes and interviews of other authors from various social media platforms from Twitter to Facebook to Instagram. And don't forget if you'd like a shout out or to participate in Writing Corner Wednesday or become one of our Writers of the Week, all you have to do is visit visit my blog page and drop your information in the contact section. Have a good weekend, everyone, and I hope you'll join me for our next episode of the Writing Wall podcast.